What is up, everybody, and welcome into the All NBA Show, part of the All City Podcast Network. We have a great one for you today. The Lakers go down to the Kings on the second night of a back-to-back. It gives us a good time to talk about just how good or maybe how bad are the Los Angeles Lakers. Celtics get revenge on the 76ers. Going to talk about that. Milwaukee Bucks, Damian Lillard goes off the absence of Giannis, and then Devin Booker makes his debut. Later on in the show, we're going to be talking about Zach Levine trades. A lot of stuff to get to today. I'm joined by my co-host and star of the show, Tim Legler. Legs, we got a busy slate today. Busy slate, ton of games last night, and I was watching every second of that Kings-Lakers game. Um, and, you know, going into that game thinking, you know, I really just want to talk Kings because I'm very impressed with certain things that they're doing now that De'Aaron Fox is back and just, you know, them taking the next step in their yeah. progression as a group. But then, you know, you watch the Lakers and and you can't help but kind of – like wonder. So I'm going to, I'm going to start this show today by posing a question to you. Okay. Do you think we're at a point where we tend to give the Lakers just too much benefit of the doubt because of the LeBron James factor? You know, the, the fact that, you know, and I agreed going in, I thought they, I thought they supplemented their bench. I thought they, they added some pieces that I thought that made them, I, I think more well-rounded, a little bit more explosive guys that fit better in some cases, addition by subtraction, and I looked at their team and I thought, yeah, okay, because of LeBron and AD, in fact, they made it to the conference finals a year ago with a lesser team. I, I think this team is a championship contender. Right. And then you watch them here in the first 12 games and, you know, what's your impression? Do you think that that's the reason we continue to put the Lakers there? Like if you really broke it down and didn't know who LeBron James was, you put tape over his name on the back of his shirt and just watched basketball, watched them play basketball, how would you feel about them as a squad? Right. That, and that's, I, I think, where we all kind of get stuck in sometimes. So the way you phrased it was, you know, the LeBron James factor. And I think to the answer question, the answer is yes. But I think that was the answer last year. And they go to the Western Conference Finals. Why? Because the LeBron James factor. It's a big factor. I mean, it really is it, 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 analogous to the Michael Jordan factor. Or, you know, there's certain players throughout history where it's you almost give them the benefit of the doubt. So for me. Coming off a trip to the Western Conference Finals, yes, they got swept by the eventual champions, but they beat some teams along the way and did some impressive things. And I don't know about you. I mean, we can kind of go into this game here a little bit, but I'll just to, to kind of put a, a to end this point. I still watch the Lakers play and go LeBron's their best player. And on a lot of nights, he's the best player on the court. Most nights, I would say he's the best player on the court. Maybe not for full 48 minute stretches, but certainly for long periods, I go, man, that's the same LeBron. I think that's a fair point. I think the problem that they have is no matter no matter who they add, and they added you know a few couple younger guys, and Austin Reeves is a young player, and he's obviously very important to them. It's they always come off to me giving me the impression that this stuff in the regular season doesn't mean anything to them, yeah. right? And and because when when you have a guy like LeBron, you know, at his age and understanding that he's trying to put together a two month run at the end of the year where he can be dominant and healthy and, and lead them somewhere. The problem is, as we've seen, like c- coming out of a lower spot in the West and having to do that yeah. repeatedly against three really good teams and probably all on the road is a very difficult thing to pull off. But that that's kind of what I was thinking last night watching them. Like there yeah. just wasn't a whole lot of energy, certainly nothing close to the pace and the crispness of the Sacramento Kings, right? Because that's a team yeah. that plays fast up the floor. They play fast in the half court after they get up there. Uh, They can score from every tier, you know, mid-range, deep, in the paint, transition, 
every way imagine in the post if you want to play that way. So they're just they're an offensive juggernaut, and it didn't look to me like the Lakers really up for that last night defensively that challenge. Well, they weren't up for it, and it was the second night of a back to back for the Lakers. So there is you know not not an excuse, but there was that sort of built into this. And Sacramento coming in fresh, Sacramento a little bit of a an edge on their shoulder, a chip on their shoulder every time they go into Los Angeles. But here's what stood out to me: if we kind of get into this game. First of all, the Lakers were down 20. This was not a close game. The Lakers made, I don't want to call it a false run, but a late fourth quarter run after being down, I think, as many as almost, I don't know if they got down 30 or 28 or what it was, but they were down 20 points in the first quarter, made these little runs, finally made a real run in the fourth quarter, and then the Kings woke up and slammed the door uh, closed again. But what stood out to me was second night of a back-to-back, the Lakers started the first quarter and really sprinkled throughout the first half, going to Anthony Davis in the post, against Harrison Barnes mainly. But there were a couple of different switches, and LeBron would say, okay, here. You, you know, a lot of the story is, can Anthony Davis carry this team, carry the workload and different things? On the second night of a back-to-back, the be- their second back-to-back of the season, he gets the ball in the post on Harrison Barnes. I don't think he scored. I think he got five or six opportunities to create offense, to generate offense, and it was missed shots and turnovers every single time. Missed shots, you know, and he's, look, we're accustomed to watching him shoot over smaller guys at will. He's got such a touch. But a lot of times I think he's better actually catching the ball, turning and facing at 15 to 18 feet. That's when he's really comfortable. He'll jab, jab, and then just rise up and lean back and shoot over you. So he wasn't converting as a scorer. And then they hit him a couple times with late delayed double teams after he started to make his move picked it up and they were sort of just at that time starting to come from the top and you could tell it, it confused him and he because he was picking his dribble up sooner than he wanted to and he he turned the ball over a couple times and of course against this team you know that's going to lead to something good more often than not so I hear you running your offense through a dry well you know that's basically what yep. was happening right and that's that's a killer against a team that you know in Sacramento you can't have empty too many empty trips against. They're going to put up a certain number, and you're going to have to match that. And and I so I agree with you that strategy. Now they got some nice contributions other places. D'Angelo Russell played really well. LeBron, you know, sprinkled offense throughout the game. It's funny you just said they made a run to make it, I guess, somewhat interesting. They got it to nine. I don't even know if I call those runs. They're more like jogs, you know, saunters, <laughs> whatever you want to call that, right? They never really uh, at any point did you watch it and think, oh wow, this is going to be dicey down the finish. Because you knew it was a matter of Sacramento just stringing together two possessions and scoring and and ending it. That's basically what they did. And LeBron, you know, this year the Lakers have been staggering LeBron and having him go against second units. And I think it's one of the reasons. I saw a stat yesterday. Maybe it was on the broadcast. They've only led at halftime in one game all season. Even though they're 500, they've trailed in all but one game. And I kind of get why. The rhythm of how they roll their, their lineups out there, bringing LeBron out. He's a sledgehammer against second units, but their other units all seem to suffer, you know, quite a bit and can't and can't hold it down. Um, they had 23 turnovers last night, too. And here's part of it. So they haven't been shooting the ball. I know we're going to get into this, but they haven't been shooting the ball really well. I do think that Anthony Davis, you mentioned the face-up game. You mentioned the, the late doubles. I just don't know what the viable option is offensively for Anthony Davis to be the guy that carries that load. I'm just so curious, like – He's a guy that finishes plays. You get him in the pockets and stuff, and he knocks down shots or drives, draws fouls. But when you talk about things like delayed doubles, okay, how do you run an offense through a guy that can't read a delayed double? I know that's complicated, but it shouldn't it shouldn't lead to 23 turnovers. 
Well, it's, it, and it's even more than that. And, and this, this gets back to the question we have about Anthony Davis all the time. You know, to be that that guy that's the engine, you have to you have to literally every game yeah. when you're leaving a hotel or you're leaving your, your house if you're if you're playing a home game, like you are in the mindset when you head to the arena that you're about to go hurt somebody. You are going to all do right. damage tonight. It's a mindset. It's an energy level, right? It's 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 an anticipation a responsibility that you embrace. Look, he did that in the bubble when they won the championship. He did that for that stretch down there. He was sensational. LeBron, more than willing, by the way, to let him be that. That's that's why he was a finals MVP. He let him take it. LeBron wanted that. And now here we are, you know, a few years later. I don't know that that you know LeBron maybe thinks that hey, that it can it can last over 82 games. Maybe Anthony Davis could do that over a very short period of time at the end of the season. But I don't know that he has that, you know, the way he carries himself every night when he goes to the arena, that he's going to be that guy. I don't know that Anthony Davis necessarily wants to be that. And LeBron, it's not fair to ask anymore of him at this stage. Now, there are other guys, they, they, they you know, Roy Hachimura, really quiet night last night. Christian Wood, I thought, was a guy that could come in and, and really he, – he's an explosive offensive player. He took two shots last night. You know, I, Austin Reeves has been better here. He had a very slow start. But Austin Reeves is not a guy that you could pencil in you know, that at, at 18 to 20 every night. Either is D'Angelo Russell. And that's – now as I look at this team and Cam Reddish either, you look at these guys, you say every night it's – you kind of know what LeBron's going to give you for the most part. Certainly you know what his floor is. Anthony Davis – Florida ceiling is wild. You don't know what yeah. exactly that's going to be. And then the rest of these guys, nobody has a ceiling really high enough on those nights if Anthony Davis isn't really, really good. Because even if Austin Reeves and Cam Reddish and these guys play great, okay, they're only going to do so much. And, and if LeBron is kind of like, hey, AD, we need you to know, I'm, I'm a little bit tired as, as we justifiable at his age. I don't think that AD – could do that every night. So that leaves us with where, what are the Lakers in the regular season? What are they going to be? Yeah. Are they going to be a 500 team? Are they going to be a 45 win team? And where does that put you in the West? And this is kind of the, how I view the Lakers. I think you hit the nail on the head here. I still think they're a really good team in the playoffs because LeBron is that good. And just getting into a series, he's been at this so many times. He's going to figure it out. Anthony Davis, when he gets some rest, you know, I, I, he struggles, although he was really good in their first back-to-back of the season. This one, he just looked like he didn't have it mentally, emotionally, physically, any of that stuff. But you give him rest, you know, he can elevate his game. I think they're scary, but how do you get there? Last year, they had to go through, you know, they had right. to sprint through the finish line. And this year, you're already looking at them, and I just, they don't win easy. The regular season, do you score easy? Do you defend easy? I don't think they do either. And if we get into the numbers here, 20th on offense so far this year, 20th on defense, 21st net rating. And here's what's crazy, Legs. They are fourth in free throw attempt rate. They get to the line the fourth most frequent of any team. And they allow the fewest free throws of uh, defensively. That's an enormous advantage to then still be 20th on both sides, you know, both sides of the court. So to me, I look at that, and that's the thing. I don't know what the path is for them to get easy things. I think they're good enough to win difficult. But in the regular season, you got to win easy. You do, and, and, and yeah, it's it's you know when you're playing 82, yes, you have to have some of those nights, and that's I think it's going to be more like running in mud for them uh, in the regular season to be able to get there. And I think you know I think the mentality is just going to be, let's just like it has been for the last couple of years, let's just 
Hope we get to April 15th and LeBron and AD are fully intact and healthy. Right. And we'll figure it out because the game is going to look a little different. The scores are going to look different. The management of possessions will look different. LeBron's overwhelming physicality and, and what he could do to control the game will, will come to the fore and we'll be okay. Just give us a shot because we don't have to have home court advantage. All we need to do is steal one, one road win in every series. Right. The one right. road win, and that's really that's really what we're talking about here. And they're thinking to themselves, well, we can get one road win against anybody. We'll get one, yeah. and that gives us a chance then in that series. It's a trap mentality because I, you know, there's teams in the West that have had some surprising starts that are up there near the top right now. There's some other ones we expect to be there. And then there's other teams that we know their best is coming. We have not seen come close to seeing them at their best. Right. The Lakers, it's like, okay, some of these teams have another gear. Where's their other gear? Unless you're talking about doing something creative and getting involved in the Zach Levine sweepstakes or whatever it may be and, and getting an infusion of talent and, and making some sort of personnel move. So, um, look, I just think we're going to be talking about them in the same vein pretty much all year. Some nights they'll, yeah, look, they'll look really good. Some nights look terrible. For the most part, they're going to look like an average NBA team, I think, most nights. And when we mentioned winning easy, the Sacramento Kings can win easy. One, because of three-point shot variants, and they were shooting the leather off the ball last night. Kevin Herter in, per, in particular, just what an incredible movement shooter he is. And last night he was he was draining everything. Um, and then obviously fast break points, they were killing him. The Lakers, by the way, um, last in opponent's second chance points. So that's another thing where they give up easy things. Uh, to opponents and they're last and second chance points themselves another way you can win easy so they're not winning those margins the last guy for the Lakers to talk about to me is Austin Reeves because he's has been off to a slow start shooting the ball he's about nine percentage points lower in effective field goal percentage so he's he's not making the shots he's taking at, at the rate he was last year but he's not getting to the line he's taking more mid-range He's getting fewer fist, uh, assisted field goal attempts and fewer from the corner three point uh, from the corners. Now, here's the thing. His role on the team has kind of shifted over time to where he was maybe getting set up more. Now they need him to create. They need him to be a guy that generates this. And he's done a good job, I think. Over, he got off to a slow start playmaking. I think over the last four or five games or so, he's actually set the table decently well. But to me, he's sort of a pivotal piece for them in that they need him to – I don't want to say third star because I don't think it is a star situation. But they do need him to be a guy that helps generate easy looks and I feel like this year he's off to a slower start than what they need from him in that that category. Yeah, and and you know, and, and examining that, you know, you wonder like what are the reasons for that? You know, maybe his you know his summer was a little different playing with USA Basketball. I mean, so he got you know yeah. a little bit of a different. He got a he got a new contract, so he got paid. He got some money, right? I and mean, he kind of surprised everybody where he arrived basically mid season last year, and then down the stretch, second half of the season, I'm watching him saying, you go back and look at LeBron's entire career. Every team he's played on, outside of probably Dwayne Wade and, and Kyrie Irving for, for moments in Cleveland with him, I think Austin Reeves has handled the ball about as much as any teammate LeBron has played with when he's on the court. It's amazing that how many times that, that LeBron will, will like will advance it to Austin Reeves, go to the other side of the court, and like we're going to initiate everything with Austin Reeves running ball screen because he is so good at it. He's yeah. good at coming off that, getting guys on his back and kind of playing with them, getting into the lane and, and getting calls. He did so much of that down the stretch last year, surprised us. He got paid. Now, you know what? A little pressure comes with that. So it's a little bit of different expectation now with the contract, with coming off of, of – and he played great for USA Basketball. So 
Now he comes in and it's like, you're no longer sneaking up on anybody. Like you're a guy now that everybody expects to be really good to great most nights. And and who knows? I'm not saying this is what's affected him. I could just see on his body language, his face, missing shots the first four or five games of the year. He was pressing, like clenched jaw, sitting on the bench, mad at himself. I didn't see much of that last year. So yeah. he's dealing with a new level of expectation. And I think that he has definitely played better here the last five, six games. And and I think now I I'm pretty feel pretty confident you're going to see Austin Reeves kind of be the same guy that he was the second half of last year, and that's going to really help them. But you are right. He's it, really, when you look at go create something out of right. nothing. The ball, especially in ball screen offense or dribble handoff offense, which is what this league is, it's LeBron and him. A little bit of D'Angelo Russell, but it, you know, Austin Reeves has a lot of responsibility on this team, no, no doubt about it. And they need to get some better shooting just in general. Only one player is above 38%, which 38% in today's NBA is not the highest bar. It's Rui Hachimura who's shooting 48%. Uh, from three this year, but everybody else below 38%. So they're a little bit cold. You know, Vincent maybe helps with that. He's been out. They also need Jared Vanderbilt. I think they could probably use some of the energy and rebounding in particular second chance point creation. Um, he's out for at least another week, maybe if not two. So maybe reinforcements on the way to, to fully judge them just yet. But when I watch them, they're 500. So you can't, there's no need for panic or anything like that. It's too early in the season for that. But when I watch them, I just look and go, do I buy that this team is better than they were last year? And do I buy that they were close to winning a title last year? In both cases, I say no. Um, yeah. and, and that's how I view them. And by the way, um, the first question I asked you about giving LeBron, like the reason we give them so much, you know, benefit of doubt, because LeBron, I'm, I'm guilty as charge right here. Guilty as charge going into the season, you know, based on what they did last year. And they still have the guy and he hasn't really slowed down too much physically. I, get, I gave him too much benefit of doubt. I thought the pieces they brought in would help more than they have to this point. Right. All right. Let's take a break on the other side. More games to get to later on in the show. We're going to get to Zach Levine as well. Um, but Celtics 76ers had an interesting one. Bucks Raptors had an interesting one. We'll get to both of those on the other side. First, we are presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with promo code ALLNBA because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. Right now, basketball is back, and DraftKings Sportsbook is offering uh, a, a nice deal here. $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down any $5 bet on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You start the season with an instant dub. And with DraftKings parlays, everyone's got a shot at a bigger basketball payday. String together a bunch of bets. I see guys sometimes make parlays. They're like 15 teams. Everybody, every team plays, and then you put one on all of them. I think that's a little wild. But I like to put them down together on three, four games, kind of pick the winner on three, four, see if I get lucky that night. Only two games in the association tonight. Um, basketball's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code ALLNBA. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code ALLNBA. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877 877- 8-HOPE-NY or t text HOPE-NY, that's 467-369 in Connecticut. Help is available for problem gambling. Call 1-800, or I'm sorry, 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas and a licensed partner at Golden Nugget Lake Charles in Louisiana. 21 or older varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, back here with Tim Legler, segment two. The Celtics, 76ers, matched up for the second time in one week. This time the script was flipped. Celtics get the win 117 to 107. Should be noted that the 76ers were on the second night of a back-to-back, so always take that with a grain of salt. Legs, what did you see from this one? All right, listen, I'm going to go full disclosure here right at the, right at the beginning, okay? I'm, and I know understand why you have to do it. I, I'm just going to tell you right now, at no point, at no point will you ever hear me say <laughs> a team was on the second night of a back-to-back. You're old school, legs. You're old school. Okay, you can call me whatever. Whatever the hell people want to call me, call me. Get off my lawn. You say whatever you want to say. Yeah. Okay. Oh my goodness. How many times we just we mentioned, oh, you know, they did they did they played basketball yesterday and now they yeah. gotta play again today? It's like, <laughs> right, Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Boston plays the game without Jalen Brown and Chris Porzingis, Right? So you you got you got <laughs> two two of your top four guys, two starters don't play. Philly's at home. Everything adds up, and you say the way Philly has played to start the year, right? This right. is this, this is Philadelphia's got to win this game. Instead, Boston controls the game, right from the outset. Yep, they, they put up thirty-seven it. points in the first quarter. We're not challenged, and so what stood out to me in this game, and and it's become a theme with Boston when they play Philly. Derek White hurts them, and Derek White was sensational last night. So. Holiday, you know, he had a normal game, an average game. Al Horford played well, but, you know, nothing crazy. Nobody on their bench went off. Tatum, by his standards, was subpar, really, 10 for 23, 29 points. So how do you go and beat Philly in Philly by 10 points when you're missing those two guys? It's really because of Derek White. Derek White hit timely shot after timely shot, and he provided everything that you would have gotten basically out of Jalen Brown. And for Philadelphia, it's not like – I don't think teams really take their foot off the gas when you see guys aren't playing. I just think that that's like cliche. I just don't think that really happens. You come out and you play with energy. The problem was they were not locked in on the understanding we have to defend the three-point line. And when you play Boston every night, but particularly without those guys, where is the supplemental offense going to come from? There's going to be even more threes taken because there's going to be guys on the floor that that's really all they do offensively. They took 50 threes in this game, 50. And they, you know, they make what they make 18, they get a plus 21 from the three point line. That's the yeah. game was Boston's three point shooting. And I just don't think Philadelphia was as dialed in as they had to be against that particular weapon, because we all know that's what Boston liked to do. But it was even on, you know, on steroids last night, 50 of them is a big number. So we used this stat the other day on our show about how many teams had made a um, 20 plus three pointers. It happened for the Bucks last night. You get 18 out of the Celtics, but they take 50. Here's one thing I wonder, though. It's smart to do that, especially in the regular season. We talk about winning easy. You get 53s up when you have that kind of spacing and that kind of shooters. You're going to have nights where you make a lot, and that wins you the game. But do you love this style of basketball from a, is this sustainable? I always look at the teams that play this way, and I go, 
they have a couple bad shooting nights in the playoffs, and all of a sudden, what's what's the next thing they go to? Yeah, no, I love the question, and this is coming from a guy who made you know I made my living shooting threes, right? And so obviously, right. I'd love to be playing in this era, and I would love to how, how how green these lights are for everybody. That would be be tremendous. But even having said that, no, it does worry you, and even Tatum, you know, there's nights Tatum yeah. will we'll, we'll take ten plus, ten yeah. plus, and look, I understand. Yeah, ten last night. He's got a beautiful stroke and he has length and he has I don't know if there's anybody from a from a standstill position with a defender within arm's reach can create a quality three to the extent that he in in in, in like three different ways. Back step right, back step left, four ways, back step left, sidestep, because they're two different moves. He, the, how quickly with one dribble he can separate and launch into a shot. Maybe, maybe you'd say Luca. Like those two guys probably are the best at it. Some nights I watch Tatum, I go, man, he's he's bailing them out a little bit by falling in love with this shot. So no, you're right. It's a fickle thing to rely on. It will leave you as a team on a night when you have to have it. And look, th that doesn't mean they can't score other ways because Tatum and Jalen Brown can score any which way you want. So they've got other ways. And Drew Holiday can get to the rim. You got other ways to score. But to your point, when that's your mindset and you almost are hunting that shot rather than organically getting the shot, it's a different thing. And I think sometimes that makes you easier to guard for some teams on those nights where for whatever reason, like you're just not stringing them together. That wasn't the case last night. The three-point line won the game for them. Yeah, the um, you know you get minutes from Svi Mikhailuk too for, for Boston. Because you mentioned some of the guys out of the lineup, so you bring some new guys in. I don't know anything about Del Delano Banton, but he plays eight minutes last night. Uh, and they won those minutes there. So um, let's move on, though. I want to talk about the Wolves and the Suns. Bradley Beal was rumored to be get, making his debut this year. They were going to debut the big three. That gets canceled because he had back tightness. We should talk about that here in a second. But the story to me was the return of Devin Booker, who put up 31 points, four rebounds, five assists. He shot 12 of 22. Got off to a little bit of a shaky start. And then once he found his footing, you know, felt like he didn't miss anything. They had legs in this game. <laughs> I was going to tell you the Wolves on the second night of a back to it. Maybe I won't, maybe I won't mention it. <laughs> they had a 145.1 offensive rating in this game, which is insane. They shot 60% from the field, 55% from three, 93% from the free throw line. Um, is this a hot game? Is this, I guess you're going to say, no, it's not going up against an opponent on a second night of a back to back. Or this is what we saw from Phoenix last year in the little bit of regular season games we saw with Booker and KD in the lineup. They just score, and nobody really stops them. So hot shooting, or is this who they are? If they played Devin Booker like normal minutes, because he only played 26 minutes, he's coming back from, from the injury, they're putting up 150 last night. That's how mm. easy it was. At 76 at halftime, they never really slowed down for the most part yeah. in the second half. The game later in the fourth quarter got kind of sloppy, obviously, and you got, you know, you're, you're not really trying to score every trip. You're just trying to get the game over with. So to go for 133 was super easy. Here's what kind of stood out to me. First of all, Booker and Durant looked sensational last night, man. KD was so comfortable the entire game as well. Nothing Minnesota did bothered them even a little bit. Uh, that was impressive. What was also impressive, you know, going into the, to the year when they added Beal, we knew that, like, okay, there's no team in the league can match this kind of firepower in their top three guys. But the rest of the roster, if you go back to early summer, they, they're trying out guys that weren't even in the league. Right, people you know, but they were like not playing or like in the G League, and you say, well, what right. is the rest of this roster going to look like? You know what? Give them credit. 
They go out, you, you bring in Nurkic, you bring in Eric Gordon, you get a Grayson Allen, and then some other guys that were there a year ago, like a Kogi, you know, this is a guy that's been there. But what impressed me last night about the, the supporting cast, everybody outside of Durant and Booker shot 13 for 22 yeah. from the three. And yeah. that is going to be their job because they're going to get so many clean looks. You just have to shoot a reasonable percentage. And if you have nights where you really shoot well, like they did last night, the rest of those guys, I, I don't see how you guard this team. And that's basically what Minnesota looked like last night, futile. They just didn't have any answer for it at all. Phoenix did whatever they wanted to, and all those role players got very comfortable. Grace in the comments, who's been here since show number one, is mentioning here, both teams had terrible defenses. And I agree, like, this was an easy win. They were up comfortably for almost the entirety of the game. But at the same time, that was because the Suns couldn't, you know, you couldn't get a stop on the Suns. But the Suns, they only got stops maybe one out of every five times down court. So to me, I look at them and I still question what their defense is. Again, the Timberwolves, this was a very unimpressive game from the Timberwolves. Uh, actually, they actually looked a lot like the Lakers to me and just they just looked like they weren't interested in competing in this game. But the guy I want to ask you about, and it, it's especially, I think, pertinent to the defensive end of the court, but it's really both ways. The difference between Yusef Nurkic and Drew Eubanks, because it seems like the Suns enjoy their Drew Eubanks lineups. It just seems oh, yeah. like that's when they kind of get a rhythm going. How do you compare those two looks from the Suns? And, and what do you see with those two players? I definitely agree with that. I mean, Nurkic is a guy that I think they like what he can do making reads with the basketball, which you're required to do with, with you know, the, the, these offensive weapons they have. Right? You have to get the ball out of their hands sometimes and let them catch the ball in better spots. And Nurkic does a good job reading that. He's not a very good ball screen defender and he's flat-footed and guys turn the corner on him he's a decent defensive rebounder he's not elite Eubanks is just different like he's got bounce he's got bounce and hop and he just plays with a little bit more fire on that end of the floor so I agree with you he, he's been a revelation and he, he was sensational last night just reading his line six for nine 13 points four boards three assists and a presence defensively. Now, he's not a guy that's going to be some lockdown guy or go catch balls above the square as your last line of defense, but he's definitely got more energy, more bounce, more hop, and he's more active on that end of the floor. So they, they And they mixed them up pretty well. Nurkins played 24 minutes, and Eubanks played 20. Uh, and then they went four minutes toward the end of the game going smaller. If they mix it up like that, Eubanks is going to have an opportunity most nights to have a real impact on this team because he definitely brings some energy level that Nurkic just doesn't provide. He's a little bit more of a guy that kind of slogs along. Are you concerned at all with the Bradley Beal? I mean, anytime there's a back, it's back tightness. I always look at that one and go, who knows, man? Who knows how, what, yeah. the, what that looks like all year? And then we get the, you know, the Woj bomb. We get the report from the official reporters in the NBA who say, hey, he's playing tonight, and then a late scratch. Is that When you see that, what do you think? Yeah, I think the late scratch was kind of weird to me. I mean, that was a big part of – what I was going on the air last night to talk about was what those guys looked like together for the first time. Right. So we didn't quite get that to materialize. And it was like, wow, I thought that was a, you know, he was good to go and just not quite ready. So what, what it tells you is it could be one of two things. Either he thought that I mean, he felt great and like tonight's the night, I'm going to give it a go. And then he just felt a little something and he's like being freaked out by it, overly cautious. All right. It could mean that, or it could mean, he knew he was still dealing with something, but he thought he was going to be able to play through that and get right. out on the floor. And then as he's as he's you know figuring it out, whenever that was before the game, 
He's saying, you know what? I feel it feel it a little bit more than I'd like to, to go out there and be completely just free between the ears to go play basketball. No rush. It's the start of the year. So I really think that's what it was. But I hear you. It is a delicate part of the body for an athlete. And, yes, it's probably a little bit more concerning to hear something like that associated with your back. But I, I don't think we can draw any conclusions on it until we actually see him out there. Last game I want to touch on here, the Milwaukee Bucks get a win in Toronto, 128-112. to No Giannis today, or in this game, but Damian Lillard goes 9 of 18, gets 37 points and 13 assists. He gets to the line 16 times, converts on 15 of those attempts. You had a take on Damian Lillard here. I mean, he had a big time. He's had a couple, like, break, or not, I won't say breakout. He's had a couple big time shooting performances this year. This was another one. Here's my take on it. People were wondering, what, what's going on with Lillard? Like, what's wrong? What, what are you seeing? And I'm like, what I'm seeing is a guy that was a superstar with a franchise in Portland all those years. And actually, going back even further, Damian Lillard, every team he has played on probably since he was five years old, was the best player on the team and kind of did what he wanted to do. And it's a, it's a – you play with so liberated right, when you're that way. You know, and there's, there's just totally – you can let the game come to you a little bit more and still know your opportunity is going to be there whenever you want them. You don't have to try to condense it into certain minutes or whatever it may be. Now he goes to Milwaukee. First time in his life he's actually on a team with, with a bigger profile player, a team that's already won a championship, massive expectations from the day they brought him in. Like Giannis, Giannis this team is expecting to win a title this year. And I just think – it's the different uniform, different city. Like you got this guy next to you. It feels different to Damian Lillard. He's not playing for. He is thinking. He's processing things. He doesn't process things in Portland. He just went and played. And so going into the game last night, when I heard Giannis wasn't playing, I said to the producer uh, SVP, I said, "Watch tonight. Giannis doesn't play. Lillard's going to go off because it's going to feel like Portland to him." And that's exactly mm. what happened. I didn't think he's going to get to the line that many times. It helped his night. But he had 25 at half. He, he, you know, so maybe let's see now when Giannis comes back. Now that maybe really got him going and the two of them can work that out. If you remember, Adam, go back to the early LeBron D. Wade pairing. Right. I, I believe they were 8-9 and nine or 9-8 nine and eight through 17 games. And yeah. it was more than that. They were literally stepping on each other's toes because yeah. they were so overly deferential to each other. Well, yeah. once they got through that first, you know, five, six weeks, you saw what happened. And they figured it out. And I think Lillard and Giannis will be the same way. But right now for Damian Lillard, he, he's thinking about a lot of stuff that he was has never thought about probably in his life. And that means you're not going to just be reactive instinctively. And you see what can happen like last night when he does. Like the Miami Heat, you also had a young coach, Eric Spolstra. And I remember the 9-8 and eight start, and I remember the shoulder bump of LeBron walking to the bench, a little shoulder bump, and you spend 48 right. hours in the news talking about the shoulder bump heard around the world. You know, Adrian <laughs> right. Griffin off to a little bit of a slow start there, and there's been a lot of people, you know, questioning whether he's up for the challenge. He may be, he may not, I don't know. But at least there's precedent for this type of start yeah, to a new sure. era and this type of thing. Um. Okay, the other thing that happened last night is the Bucks made 20 three-pointers, 20 of 39. So they shot 51%. Um, I don't know. And to be honest, I didn't catch this game, um, so I can't speak to it. But I don't know if this was – the Bucks have a couple games now where they have been really red hot from three, and it's like, oh, there it is. That's what looks good. I don't know if this was one of those games because some of the guys that made shots at a high level last night, 
Um, I mean, even you get Malik Beasley going eight of 11. I know he's a shooter, but that's especially hot. Campaign goes three of four. Uh, Bobby Portis goes two of three. Sometimes great shooting disguises everything else. I don't, I don't know if this was one oh, of those yeah. games. And I think that's been the case for Milwaukee and Boston. Like, you know, here in recent yeah. years when, you know, those are the two teams that you've been looking at most of the regular season, right? And you, you look at both of them and say, a lot of nights, this is how they end you. They end you and separate from you with a barrage of three-point shooting. It's not always there. And those are the nights now, okay, well, what's going to happen here late game? And that's where Giannis can run into some trouble sometimes late in the game. Um, with free throw shooting or his mid-range jump shot, he's you know kind of tentative to take it. So that when they can end it and get separation with a three-point shooting, you take that off his plate. Now, that'll be different this year because that's what I said the biggest benefit to Giannis is going to be. You now have a guy that can close matters. If if it's one of those nights where Giannis is, has a three for 11 going from the foul line and it's, it's not going to be automatic, you're going to go to him in that situation. He finally has a guy now that's one of the best in, in the business. But – up to this point, that's what it's been. That they they will they will have nights like this. There'll be other nights when they struggle yeah. a little bit more, and that's when you're counting on the overall dominance of a Giannis Antetokounmpo to affect enough areas of the game that you can still get a win. All right, one of the big storylines in the NBA this week: the Chicago Bulls finally, at least I say finally, finally announced that it's time for a rebuild, and they look to trade Zach Levine to help us kind of get the initial thoughts on what the Bulls are looking for and what this trade might look like. We go to CHGO's own Will Gottlieb, who is joining us, I believe, uh, practice facility. Look at this. There he is. Will Gottlieb. Of hey, CHGO guys. How you doing? How you, how you doing? Good to be here. Um, so, all right. Walk us through this real quick. Um, it's finally announced. I kind of expected it. I, am I reading too much into this? I kind of expected the Bulls to be looking to rebuild maybe a year ago. I feel like they're late on the clock. I think so, too. Um, you know, when Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley came in, they had a vision for the kind of team that they wanted to build. And as much as the excuse has been thrown around, Lonzo's injury has really uh, put that off and kind of made it so that it's been a little bit hard to adjust on the fly. And I think with the way that the Bulls have started the season, uh, four and eight now after a tough loss to the Magic last night. It's just feeling like it's time. I think everybody's kind of come to that conclusion. Zach Levine obviously had the trade, we'll call it like a soft trade request uh, the other day. Um, and, you know, he just seems like it's, it's time to move on. Uh, you said rebuild, and I'm not sure I'm quite there yet with this team. It seems like everything I'm hearing is uh, more of a retool and try to stay competitive rather than a full-on tear it down to the studs. So we'll see how that goes and what kind of trade return they can get for Zach. But um, based on everything that the front office has said, it seems like uh, you know competing and trying to stay in that playing race is going to be the priority. So it sounds like to me just early here, when you get the news and we all hear it, Zach Levine, it looks like this might happen now. It's actually finally going to happen. You're saying that's that was, that was going to be my next question. Are we talking strip this thing down and get you know get a bunch of picks and you're putting this thing five years out in the future? But it doesn't sound like that's a mentality. So if that's the case, it sounds like then you're talking about Zach Levine potentially going to a team that's very close, right? You wouldn't want Zach Levine unless you were close to going over the top with him. The teams you're hearing, Miami, I've heard. I've heard Philly. I've heard the Lakers. I've heard the Warriors. Like – be hypothetical here. What makes sense to you in terms of what those teams potentially could have in assets to keep the Bulls still competitive, get enough of a return, 
but still have Zach Levine end up in a place where he can make the kind of impact I'm talking about? Yeah, it's a tough question. Um, and I think, frankly, there just like aren't a lot of perfect landing spots. Um, I think the first thing you have to figure out is what exactly is it that the Bulls want in return? And so, like I said, my guess is that they want to remain competitive. That means getting some role guys on decent salaries that can be filler. I think they'll also probably try to get at least one young prospect and as much draft capital as they can. So maybe an unprotected pick and a swap or you know, two lightly protected picks, that kind of thing. Um, and so when you're looking at potential landing spots, you know, I, I think the Lakers make the most sense. There just seems to be a lot of inertia there. Uh, the clutch connection, Zach, is a Rich Paul client. Obviously, the Lakers, LeBron. Um, I could see that being a, a, a potential landing spot and maybe, you know, D'Angelo Russell, Rui Hachimura, uh, one of their younger players like Max Christie or uh, Hood Shafino, and then that 2029 pick seems like it would work for both sides where, you know, I think the Bulls are kind of having to reconsider how much they could potentially get back for Zach. I think the James Harden trade kind of put some of that into perspective. And the Lakers are going to be one of those teams where there's a clear pecking order. LeBron James is still the guy. You have Anthony Davis there. There's not going to be any questions about where Levine slots into that um, pecking order. And so I, I think that's kind of the ideal situation for both parties where um, Zach becomes a really good third option, somebody who can really take an offensive burden off of guys like LeBron and AD, but also the Bulls can get you know some salary back, clear out some cap space longer term, and then collect, like I said, as much in the way of draft cap capital and young players as possible. I'm going to quote the great Mike Ehrman Trout from Breaking Bad here and saying, to me, this sounds like the Bulls want a half measure when they should go the whole way because you keep saying stay competitive they're four and eight when were they competitive I, I look at this team and i think zach levine is an all-star caliber player you're gonna lose him but stay competitive based on what you get back i just to me this sounds wild and in football and in baseball you make it into the playoffs anything's possible i don't think that's true in the nba anything's possible to win a round but to win four, you have to actually be a good team. And when you you just threw out there, Rui Hachimura, Austin Reeves, these types of players, does that make Chicago different from what they have been in, in your mind? Not really. And I totally agree with you personally. Um, I think from the Bulls' perspective, though, it's like, you know, I, I don't think they, they thought that they were Miami, that if they had beaten Miami in that play-in game, they would have been the ones in the finals <laughs> right. facing your Denver Nuggets. But I do think that it's it represents – this idea that the East is open enough for them to still be in that mix if they can get the right guys back. And I think until things get really, really off the rails and look, you're right. I mean, four and eight start, not great. There's already been drama. Um, the not players only meeting players only meeting the trade <laughs> request now. I mean, it, it's already getting there. Um, and, you know, the other thing is, when are these guys available to be traded? Right. Um, most players yeah. that signed during the offseason, December 15th. Some of them signed with bird rights for more than 20% of what they were making before. It's going to be January 15th. Um, so there is a lot of time. And if it gets to a point where there are 10, 15 games under 500 uh, in January, maybe that changes. But I think right now they're, the feeling is still that they're close enough that they can be in that mix. And if they get guys that come in and help them just enough, they can remain there. And do you think there's still satisfaction with Billy Donovan? You know, because this is obviously when you go in this this direction as a franchise, that's not certainly what they were thinking when they brought him in. And so sometimes when you start to look at your roster and you're going to strip it down and you're, you're going to go in a completely different direction, 
do you also look there? So what is what is the connection that you know Billy Donovan has to to upper management? And do you think that you know he's the guy that will lead this thing going forward for the foreseeable future after these deals are made, assuming they're made? I think that's a really good question and something that Bulls fans have been um, pretty uh, up in the air about as far as do they want Billy Donovan to be the guy that kind of leads the next charge? I'll, I'll say this: um, it hasn't been like officially reported, but. Basically, the general sentiment is that Billy Donovan has one more year on his contract and then received an extension that lasts two more years. And I would I would be very surprised if Bulls ownership is going to pay that out beyond you know a year of his contract. I think the uh, front office group is in the same boat. So I think they are kind of stuck together, for lack of a better term. I know they do have a really good working relationship, AK and Billy Donovan, um, and that they are seeing eye to eye on all this stuff and work together on everything from roster to, you know, how how things are working on the court. So I do think he'll be around. Um, again, I think to your point, Adam, like this seems like a half measure. Um, if they are to keep on going with this direction, I think you're going to see a lot of the same results, but maybe worse because you're removing one of your best players. Like, how do you expect to be better after that? Um, right. So I, I think it's going to be a couple more years until they really figure out that this thing is not working. and. You know, DeMar's contract situation at the end of this year, he's going to be a free agent. Does that force their hand a little bit more if he decides to leave? I mean, they have some avenues to get out of this uh, in, I think, pretty good shape. Like you said, I think they probably should have done this a year ago. But, you know, if you can get a couple of picks for Caruso, flip DeMar to a contender, I think you are setting yourself up pretty well. It's just a matter of, like, can they get to that point? And right now, it just doesn't seem like they're there yet. He is Will Gottlieb over at CHGO. CHGO, part of the All City family. If you did not know, CHGO is covering all things Chicago, including this Bulls team. <laughs> I salute you for it. Day in and day out, passion and dedication from, from Will Gottlieb covering this team. Um, and by the way, Patrick Williams dribbling out the clock yesterday. All new one. A whole new way for misery for uh, for the Bulls to lose. The, the end of that game in general was just... <laughs> Totally off the rails. I mean, the 67 first half offensive rating is just like, like nothing I've ever seen. And then they finally get hot. It's hard to do. And then Zach finally gets hot, ties the game. Boncaro, game winner, traveled. Uh, and then, yeah, Definitely traveled. Dribbled out the clock. So that's, that's, I guess, what we have to look forward to here. All righty. Thanks so much, Will. Appreciate Take it. Care, guys. All right. So here's my question for you, Legs. Yeah. I like they got lost Adam. What there. what happened here? Are we still live? Now I got you. Producer Emma, are we still live? We still on? Yeah, you're still live. You're still live. Uh, all right. There we go. <laughs> uh, so I must have crashed there for a second or something. Um all right, legs, here's my question for you. I like Zach Levine. He's a good player. But I don't know if he is the final piece, especially when you think he costs a lot of money. You've got to give something up to get him back. Is he a guy that you look at a team like the Lakers, the Raptors, the Heat, these teams that we don't think are true contenders? Maybe you could even throw the Pacers. Not quite true contenders. They're on the fringe. Is he a guy that's good enough to make a team a contender? One thing I like about I listen, I, I, I think he – I, maybe I value uh, his ability to do that a little bit, a little bit more than you. It might sound like because I do think one thing about Zach Levine, 
I don't think he's the kind of guy that's going to be a disruptor to what you're currently doing. I think he can fit in. And look, we're talking about going to places like the teams we're mentioning, whether it's Miami, the Lakers, you know, the, like I said, I heard the Warriors yesterday might be interested, uh, the Sixers. You're talking about going to a place where at best you're like the third best player, right? right? And if that's right. the case, well, maybe in Golden State with right now the way some of those guys look, maybe you could say he'd be their second best player. Assuming, it, you know, you know, he'd be right there, you know, ahead of Clay. But my point is, in that lane, yeah, I, I like Zach Levine a lot. If Zach Levine is the guy that you're saying is at the top, he's 1 or 1A one like he is right now in Chicago, then no, I don't I don't think that that's right. that's good enough. I think you're you're then somewhere in middle of the pack type of team that maybe you you make it, maybe you're in a play in, you get in and then you lose to one of these top teams in the conference. But if you start putting him in that third lane and he can catch and shoot so he can play off of guys and you know, when one of those guys is getting a blow, you can put the ball in his hands, let him run some ball screen, and he can go get his own shot. I do like him in that role, I think. So it, it's he's not, to me, that you know guy that's going to carry a franchise. Certainly not going to carry a franchise deep into the postseason. But you start putting him next to a couple guys that are capable of doing that, I like Zach Levine a lot. It, it, again, it's always going to depend. You can't really analyze any trade unless you know what – a team is giving up. Right. You can't right. Yeah. say, oh, I love them on the Heat. Yeah, okay, well, what are the Heat? <laughs> right. You know, right. So, so you got to see what they're left with at the end of that. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I like the comment from uh, Para Junior Sports here. He says, as a Bulls fan, it just feels like it's going to be a wrench in the plans. Unsure of how to mesh into someone else's offense. Always feels like he's in his own flow. And this is kind of my critique. And I take some of this off of his shoulders. He was in a Minnesota in and in a kind of a losing org. He's in Chicago in a losing org in a losing situation. He's never – there's these lessons you learn, I think, along the way when you're on competitive teams and sacrifices required and all these different things. So I almost don't blame him for that trait, but that is my perception of him when I watch him. As I always go, there's the rhythm he's in and the rhythm the team's in, and sometimes those overlap, but, but not necessarily. And that's why I wonder, like a team like the Lakers – LeBron won. Kyrie is this kind of guy to me, oftentimes. And LeBron won with Kyrie because you had the LeBron rhythm, and then Kyrie could bail you out and, and kind of play off of that. So I could see it working in certain environments, but I just think it might. I'm curious if, to me, he might be a more narrow fit in what kind of teams can absorb him into their style of play. One thing I will say about him, I would love to see Zach Levine be in a situation where what he was playing for and the, the significance was magnified to see what that brings out of him. Because, you know, a guy can average 16-17 a game in this yeah. league and be looked at on a completely different level than when he was averaging 23-24 in a mediocre to bad team. Yep. And I'll give you a perfect example of it. And I know that he, you know, a lot of it is because defensively he ended up turning himself into a good defensive player. But look at Wiggins. Or look at yeah. Wiggins. Wiggins was putting up 25 a night in Minnesota, and no yeah. one was paying attention to it. He goes to Golden State, and he averages, you know, 17 – but and and then and he was not a good defender when he got there. The accountability of Draymond Green and what they were playing for and the significance of what they needed him to do, he elevated himself. So now the impact of those seventeen a night, he was their second best player in a championship run during that series. They won a couple of years ago. So my point is, when a guy has taken a lot of shots and put up a lot of points in games that weren't that important to people. I want to see him play for something that matters. And I think that's when you'll finally have a real evaluation of Zach Levine's 
impact and significance yeah. in this league. And he hasn't had that opportunity really yet. So I'm going to put you in the tough spot here because you're right. If you don't know the trade pieces, it's hard to evaluate a trade. But let's just talk about fits within the core members of a team here. The Toronto Raptors, to me, are one of the few teams that can make a sort of straight-up trade with Pascal Siakam. And if I hear what I heard from Will Gottlieb, that they want a player back to keep this thing going, maybe a Siakam-Levine It's like, hey, I don't know that it makes sense for Chicago, but if that's the kind of route they want to go, Scotty Barnes, Zach Levine. Scotty Barnes is more of an all-around type. He's become a better playmaker this year, more of a setup type, and then Zach Levine, the scorer. I do wonder if that's – is that a building block in your mind of, of that core? For the Bulls? No, no, no. I'm sorry. For for Toronto. If, if oh. Zach Levine went to Toronto to join Scotty Barnes and you built around those two guys, is that a fit that you kind of could see happening? Yeah, I kind of do because the thing about Scotty Barnes is he, he's only going to have like significant value when he's got guys around him that can really score, right? Because you're not gonna you're not gonna appreciate him unless right. unless he has that. You know, he'll have nights where he'll 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 get some good scoring numbers. That's not why he's valued and appreciated. He can do everything on the court, um, and but he is I think is maybe his playmaking and his ability to make plays for people more significant. So you put him next to a guy like Levine. Right? And I think, and, and also defensively, he takes some pressure off Zach Levine. I, I kind of do like that pairing. You know, I don't know if, if, if the Bulls, if that's something the Bulls would want to do going forward. I, and I, I just th I think it all depends on mindset. And I know what Will said, but I think we're both kind of sitting here going, I don't understand what that really means to try to stay competitive right. now. If you're going right. to do it, Adam, I think you do it right. Right. I mean, you really do it. Like we, like I said, you put this thing you out four or five years you, yeah. on the road, right? Keep a couple of the young pieces that you like now and some of the higher picks that you've had, and you completely retool it. So I, I don't know yeah. that that would be enough uh, to get back, I think, for Chicago, if they, depending on the directions they want to go. I see Victor says Siakam's a bit of a downgrade for Toronto. I th If you're Toronto, you're looking at the Siakam-Scotty Barnes overlap and just saying, okay, these two guys, you're not going to get the most out of both of those guys. The team yeah. eventually is going to take on a different perspective. So that's why they would do it. A dark horse team to me that I kind of am curious for is the Orlando Magic. And it's funny that they played last night. Zach Levine hits two heroic threes at the end. I thought I texted you. I was like, oh, my God, we're talking <laughs> Levine, and here he is. And then, of course, uh, Bancaro nullified all of that. But um, they need a point guard. I don't know if he's a point guard, though. He's more of a scoring guard. But they they could use the position. They have a great front court, and they have young assets. If you were Chicago, you could talk yourself into some of the Suggs or Fultz or some of the picks and stuff that they have. Is that a good trade partner? Do you see a core of the their front court with Zach Levine? Absolutely, because when I look at Orlando, what's interesting about them is they've got – a number of point guards, but they don't have anybody in that role that is either a dominant scoring lead guard, which this league has a ton right. of now, or just a person that's absolutely going to set the table for everybody because they're you know, that's what they've been doing their whole life. You know, because because those guys have tremendous value, even if not, they're not a great scorer. They have a bunch of dudes that are some some small combination of the two of those things. You make a couple of plays score and they want to score first but they're not elite level scorers now you bring in zach levine it's a completely different level player on the perimeter for them and the consistency of you could dial in on a bad night 20 to go with what ben carroll i think not only is but will be that's a nice pairing yeah um we could probably do this all day but i want to go to a couple other notes here real quick around the league 
Daniel Tice um, is reportedly getting bought out and then going to the Clippers. That's that's the report. Um, it's coming on the heels of uh, the Terrence Mann adjustment, where they tried to put Terrence Mann on Nikola Jokic as a small ball center. Did not work. Um, and so Tice, I've always Tice is a good player. He is a FIBA World Cup gold medalist. He is uh, he can do some things. And when you just talk about front court depth for potential playoff matchups, I don't hate this move for the Clippers. No, not at all. Particularly when it's not going to really cost him anything. Why not? And he's, he's right. got a lot of he's got a lot of big game experience. So he's got yep. he's got that. He he he. You never have to run anything for him. And he's still going to play just as hard. And yep. he's added a three point shot to his game yep. to to evolve with the modern NBA big man. So he could do all of that stuff. I don't think that's a that's a bad move at all. It's very very smart actually for the Clippers to go out and pick up a guy like that that you can literally put on the court tomorrow without knowing any of your sets and you know. Because right. of his intelligence and his professionalism, he's going to go out there and he's going to he's going to do his thing. Um, that's the kind of player that that he is. He's an ultimate role player. They need more of that on that roster. And you mentioned the three point shot. What the Clippers were hoping to do when they went small with Terrence Mann was to play five out and make Jokic guard in space. But of course, it came at the compromise of being undersized. Daniel Tice is still undersized, but not as much as Terrence Mann. He's at least a body you could throw there, and you could still play five out on offense. So. I, I actually yeah. think that's a good move for the Clippers. And real quick, by the way, you're not going to survive playing that small ball stuff against that, against Nikola Jokic. He's going because no. they're going to score every time down the floor. They're going to score every yeah. time because he just simplifies the game. Just give me the ball, back down until somebody comes, and then I will make the absolute perfect decision. It once the double team comes, and if you don't double me, it's going to be it's going to look like you know kind of silly that, that you're putting a smaller guy on me. So that's like the one guy he's not going to he's not going to fall prey. To what you're trying to get him to do he's just going to simplify it back you down and play out of that and pick you apart you're going to score every time and on the other end well you better have uh, you know elite level five smalls that that are going to you know shoot a high percentage or make plays off the dribble consistently denver's going to roll their dice on that every single time and just go with what they have and Jokic is going to win those matchups yeah the other piece of news and the last piece before we get out of here Draymond green it was announced got a five game suspension for putting uh, Rudy Gobert in the chokehold for about, I don't know, 15 seconds or so. Um, here's It's been talked about, is it fair? Is it unfair? Was this the number you thought? Whatever. I'm almost less interested in that. I have a wild, I might be getting too, I might be going galaxy brain here, legs. So I need you to tell right. me if I'm just being an idiot. All right. I mean, I think my, my theory is Draymond Green has wanted to choke Rudy Gobert for a long time. Those guys have had a little back and forth over the years and he saw an opportunity and he went for it. I also think that Draymond Green, you know, he does a lot of things that toe the line or cross the line. And his whole thing is, I've always won this way. Why would I change? I hate that mentality. Everyone can improve. So maybe this is just a, he snapped into, you know, attack mode and, and you know, that's just who he is. But I have another one I've been thinking about, which is last year, the Warriors played the Kings in the playoffs and it went seven games. And a large part of this was, I think the Kings were the better team last year. But the Kings were not ready to win a series. They weren't quite ready. Minnesota might not be ready, but I see a similar situation brewing. I wouldn't be surprised if we got a Warriors-Wolves first-round matchup. And I wonder if Draymond knows, you know what I, you have to do to teams like this? You have to put fear in them. You have to bully them. You have to let them know that you're, you're the big dog. And I just wonder if there was any part of him that was like, yeah, I'm going to show that you're front court. You know, I put him in a chokehold, and I want that image in your head in case we match up in a playoffs. Am I beginning? Matt, you really, you really, you really are getting down the road. You're getting down the road a little bit. No, I don't think so. 
I think Draymond Green. Here's what I think. Draymond Green, if you, he had a lot of uh, room there to, to, before he got to Gobert, right, in terms of running yeah. and thinking about what you're about to do. I think what Draymond Green saw was an opportunity that where he felt he could justify because yeah. Rudy Gobert put his hands on Klay Thompson. So now it's all about my teammate. This is about right. defending my teammate. This isn't me. This isn't Rudy Gobert and I squared off in the post or I was trying to box him out. He came over the top and now we – we get into it with each other. No, no. He saw an opportunity because Rudy Gobert had his hands on his teammate. Well, now I can go over there and I can get involved. Now, what I don't understand is the extent and the length of time to which he refused to let go of his neck. <laughs> that's a really long time. That's why I said, I, look, when, it, when all smoke clear from that, I said, look, I think five games would be the low end of the spectrum. Like, I would not have been shocked if they went up seven to ten games would not have shocked yeah. me because it's a terrible visual. Just watching a, a guy in a chokehold being dragged, right? And, and Rudy Gobert's eyes were as big as saucers. He's, he's like kind of going backwards, took no control over his body whatsoever, not knowing when this is going to end. Like, where is this guy taking me? And so, and just how long it lasted, like the number of steps that Draymond Green took with everybody trying to get his arm off of his neck and he refused to let go. To me, I, I thought the league – to me, I'm, I, I think they came down a little bit on the lighter side in this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now, the thing for Golden State is, look, they're 500, and now they got to go and they got to play a number of games without Draymond Green. Right. So this is another team. We talked about the Lakers earlier, digging themselves a little bit of a hole. Yeah. Where's that? Golden State now is going to be in a similar boat here in the short term. And, and not to mention, Curry's banged up as well at the same time. Andrew Wiggins been in a slump all year. He's been in a funk really for a year and a half now with with Andrew Wiggins. So there, there's definitely reason to look at the Warriors and say two weeks ago, I was like, all right, I can see it with Chris Paul and this or that. Now you look at it and go, man, how how fragile it is. But um, I'm curious with Draymond. The last thing I'll say on this is I just know two years ago when they matched up in the playoffs, Draymond went at Aaron Gordon every way he could. He talked to him nonstop. Stop, because I believe he thought Aaron Gordon couldn't handle it. He wanted to raise the stakes. He wanted to bully him to get him to wilt. I just wondered if there's a little bit in Draymond's mind of Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns, I'm going to pick at those guys and make sure everyone knows they're not as tough as me to try to send a message. And maybe that well, again. Go ahead. I, I would say I would say if that if I really thought that were the case, then he would have gone over and he would have done that same exact chokehold on Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, because maybe. that's the guy that's the guy that you might think that you can get in his head a little bit right because right. you know he's been criticized is he tough enough is he, is he play too right. soft sometimes like all that stuff Draymond Green would have gone after him like even yeah. though he had nothing even if he just stayed it off to the side you know you run up Rudy Gobert's engaged with Clay Thompson and you just kind of beeline over and just grab Carl Anthony Towns you know just grab, right. would have been even that. more absurd <laughs> So I don't think, yeah, exactly. I don't think necessarily was a message being sent. I just think yeah. Draymond, Draymond snapped. He doesn't necessarily have a break on his emotions. He's also used to look, he's also used to, I think he's been thrown out of 11 games. <laughs> yeah. I, I, somebody told me that. I said he could have been 111. Yeah, that's because, so true. Because Draymond Green is the only player I've ever seen get a technical in, in a game and that is for him a license to really escalate things now. That's I mean, so most true. guys, you get a tech and it immediately, you know, you have to immediately, be careful. You got to be careful. Because the last thing you want, man, is to be tossed. You know what I mean? Uh, like Maxie yeah. the other night got a, got a tee and it looks so strange. And he goes over to rap and he's just like smiling and laughing with him the whole time yeah. during the time out. 
because he's thinking to himself, like, the last thing I'm going to do is get tossed. Draymond's like, I got one. They'll never give me the second one. So I think he's used to that kind of treatment. He's yeah. screaming and one on a breakaway layup. Like, he's not even touched. Like, stuff like that. He's kind of used to that, yeah. pushing yeah. the envelope. So I'm sure in his wildest dreams, he didn't think this was going to be a five-game suspension. But I yeah. wasn't surprised. Well, that does it for us today. I'm excited because tonight we have Brooklyn, Miami. I haven't watched Miami for for a little bit here, so I'm excited to get back into them. I'm a little less excited for the shorthanded Golden State team, Oklahoma City taking on Golden State. But um, you know what? I like watching OKC, so we'll just focus in on them. That does it for us today, guys. Another great show, Lakes. Uh, fun as always. All right. Absolutely. Uh, Everybody else, thanks for watching. Don't forget to give us a like if you're watching on YouTube. Leave us a comment in the chat. Share it with your friends. Let everybody know about this one so we can grow the show. And we'll see you tomorrow. We all silly like the mayor.